Hello everyone and welcome to She Brigade, the podcast. I'm your host, Belund Lemusemere. If you're new here, welcome to the podcast. And if you're a returning brigader, welcome back. She Brigade is a podcast that celebrates and amplifies the stories of incredible and inspiring black female trailblazers. On the show, our guests share their life stories, the highs, the lows, and everything that has brought them to be who they are today. Today's guest is Karen Wendera. Karen is an award-winning multimedia journalist. She is a university lecturer, a speaker, writer, moderator, and the founder of Afrikaren Media. Karen is also the curator of the Forbes Africa 30 Under 30 list, bringing together game changers from across the continent in business, sports, tech, and the creative field. In her work as a journalist, she's interviewed the likes of Naomi Campbell, Puti Mahanyele, Femi Kuti, Yvonne Chakachaka, President Cyril Maposa, and so many more. In this episode of the podcast, Karen takes us through the highlights of her career as a journalist, the pressures of being the Forbes Africa 30 under 30 curator, and she takes us behind the scenes of the media industry and her growth through it all. Remember, we love to hear from you, so please engage with us on our social media at SheBrigade on all social media platforms, or email us your feedback at info at SheBrigade.com. And don't forget to please rate and review us on your podcast platform. So, let's dive in. <clears throat> hey, Karen, and welcome to the podcast. Hi, fella. Thank you so much for having me. I am so excited to get into this. Okay, so, on the podcast, we like to start all the way from the beginning. So I want you to take us all the way back, take us to your, what it was like for you growing up as a child, your primary school life, high school life. All yeah. Of- oh gosh. Um, where do I even begin? <laughs> <laughs> so my, my childhood is quite a, a very complicated, long story. Um, basically, I'm born to Malawian parents and I was born in Malawi. But three months after my birth, my uh, dad got a job in Ethiopia. So we had to move there for about three years. So that was, you know, my baby infancy years were growing up in a different country altogether. And then um, three years after that, 1997, we moved to Swaziland for 10 years. So that's where my um, primary school, parts of my high school, you know, took shape. And also, you know, being someone who's um, foreign, growing up in another foreign country was also quite a big transition because I had to learn the local language. So as it stands today, (laughs) you know, it's hard for me to even talk in my mother tongue because of just how many Mm. times we moved a lot. So, you know, that was that was quite a beautiful journey, um, you know, trying to transition into a different space altogether but that's literally where my foundation years took form and took shape and I learned a lot in terms of understanding the Swaziland culture and traditions and then um, post high school I went to an Anglican school for two years Um, all girls school very crazy but also very um, you know such a such a great building block in terms of who I am today because it was yeah. it was so demanding and really growing us up into adulthood as teens and then um my dad got another job again and we had to move to South Africa for about six six months yo um so that was a, you know it was another shocking kind of transition into that space but already you know so, so I was in South Africa not that far apart so it wasn't too much of a culture shock but the biggest move that was for me was after those six months we have to move to Kenya um, so East Africa side. <laughs> and That's number five now. That's country number five. Country number five, yes. So, uh, you know, that was, that was you know, going into that, it was like I just literally just made some new friends. I'm a young teenager. And, you know, you're going through adolescence. So, you know, moving was such a difficult part of the process because you have to adjust to the situation, adjust to the, the climate, the types of people. And, of course, making new friends is always such a difficult mm-hmm. thing as a kid. So, you know, I resented my parents for that. I remember on the plane going there and I was crying and my mom was like, don't worry, everything is going to be fine. Um, At least it was like we were all together as a family. So this wasn't just, you know, my experience alone, but everyone else's. And by the time we got there and um, I started schooling at an international British school. So everyone at that school was foreign. Like it was mixed with people from Mexico, people from Cuba, people from the UK, like China, everywhere that you can think of and a lot of African countries. So, you know, that 
um, as I transitioned into that, I really, you know, enjoyed the space. And till today, Kenya is one of my favorite countries to live in. Um, so I was there for about two years. And then um, from that point, we moved back to South Africa, now full time. So that's 20, 2012. And into me going into my university year. So this is where I now began my varsity. Um, yeah. And I remember the time when we when we came here, it was, you know, switching from the British system to the South African system is also quite a tricky thing because the curriculum is quite different. So it was hard for me to, number one, get into some of the big top universities in South Africa just because of that um, qualification difference. But at the time, there was a private institution that um, a friend of mine had recommended. I was like, no, try this place out, which is at the time it was called Midrand Graduate Institute. So I applied, went through there and, yeah, started my journey in my undergrad studying yeah. journalism. And, yeah. you know, okay. <laughs> I have so many questions. I have so many questions. Right? Right. Like, so, OK, to to be specific, there's yes. a lot more. But I want to <laughs> Number one, I just want to know from you, like that experience must have been so hard going through it. But I do believe that there's always a lesson learned. How, what did you learn from moving around and living in so many different spaces that you obviously probably in hindsight, yes. you can only see it in hindsight, right? What did you learn from that experience that you think shaped you as an adult now and or in your career now? That's number one. Number two, I want to know how you went about especially with all the changes that were going on, because now you're navigating changing environments, changing the people around you. Um, how do you, were you even thinking of what you wanted to be as when you grew up? And yeah, how did you decide what you were going to study? That's actually a very interesting question. I honestly, honestly did not know what I was going to study. Um, thankfully, um, you know, I, my parents were very strong in education. So I also had that mindset that, you know what, education is key. You know, the whole the whole wisdom part of it. And I was fairly good in my grades and academics, but I just didn't know what I wanted to do, whether it was IT, um, that was something I love, whether it's geography. But to top it off, um, I just wanted to do something creative. and But something creative, but also still considered a profession because um, when you think about the arts a lot, especially from an African culture, it's, it, it's, you know, parents don't really see the value in that when you go on to get a job, you know, so like you can go out and easily become an actor. There's just so many challenges in those fields. So, you know, thinking about exactly what kind of field would allow me to still be creative, but also, um, you know, kind of kind of bring in the money that perhaps my parents would have wanted at the same time. Mm. So, you know, the moment I got into varsity and we had to pick our choices, it was like kind of a trial and error. Like, you know, this isn't going to allow me to explore my creativity. This isn't going to allow me to, then journalism was my last um, point of view. But now when I think back about it, um, growing up as a kid in Swaziland, so my mom used to love watching her soapies and everything. So I knew those days of our lives and the Oprah Winfrey show. And then, <laughs> yeah. so I would watch everything with her, including the Oprah Winfrey show. And at that time, she was literally the only black woman that was dominating the media industry worldwide. And I was like, I really want to be like this woman. I admired, you know, the way she candled herself. I admired the stories that she would allow people to express themselves on television and just create the safe space for stories to be told and critical stories to be told. And, you know, at the time I would take my family's video camera and pretend I was interviewing my teddy bears. <laughs> so, you know, it, it was such a, um, you know, one of those things that you don't really think about, but it was embedded. So it made me realize that actually since I was a kid, I'd, I'd always wanted to do this and I was always inquisitive. So even the fact that, you know, going into different countries and spaces, I really was able to mold myself. So I became a cultural chameleon and was always passionate about learning different cultures, different languages. And yeah, that that led me to, you know, finding my space in my home in journalism and mm. storytelling. Yeah. And what lessons did you learn from the the your your childhood moving around and adapting to different spaces that you feel are helping you out in your adult life? The first thing is appreciating Africa as a continent, number one. Um, mm -hmm. In my career now, I can like strongly say that I've positioned myself as someone who's quite passionate about the continent and passionate about stories that come from our continent and just pushing the African narrative because there's just so much beauty um, around and 
traveling from Ethiopia to Swaziland to Kenya and, and to South Africa as well, I've been able to see a lot of beautiful people, a lot of beautiful stories that don't necessarily get told on, you know, mainstream platforms. Mm-hmm. So that allowed me to really want to be, you know, someone that can help at least contribute to that narrative and pushing more positive African stories just because of, you know, the, the background that I've, that I've had and honed. Mm. Oh, wow, that's that, that's amazing. And that's very important, actually, what you're saying. Yeah. Okay, so now you're in varsity. Yes. Tell me about what it was like um, studying journalism and not and don't say journalist because you know that's what you are, but like what did you how how what what career path did you see yourself taking post varsity um it you know you know now in, into varsity my undergrad it was it was quite fun um i enjoyed most of the process but there were a lot of hiccups here and there particularly looking at what's the future going to look like mm-hmm. because um you know no one really you know, if you don't find um, a lot of opportunities, then it's hard for you to just get into the industry because it's also based on who you know and and all of these other factors. So I remember in my second year, it was one of the toughest years for me because it was that that point where, you know, you've passed first year. Now you th- have to think about what do I want for the next step before you get into your third year. And I remember my parents asking me, like, do you think you're going to make money off this? Is this a career that you really want to be in? Because it's so tough. (laughs) It's such a tough industry. And also, number one, being, um, you know, an international um, person in in a different country was also something that I had to consider that is this a space that I'll be able to tell stories in or would it be a little bit challenging for me? So, you know, all those questions culminated me going through a very rough patch and also just, you know, doubting whether this is what I wanted to do and did I choose the right course? And, you know, it, it pummeled me into a, a period of depression going through that. So it was it was very, very hard. Um, but, you know, along the way, I was able to get some help and I was seeing a counselor for that. And, you know, it was just, you know, God, also the voice of God, just say, just keep going, just keep going. You know, you, you've gone to the space and, you know, th- there's no, no harm in just taking another year and continue until you're done with your third year. So by the time I got to my third year, um, it got even more intense because I was triple majoring in my modules from politics, English and broadcast journalism. So now into that space, there was just a lot of work thrown into me. I also now took on a lot of responsibilities within uh, positions such as the house committee program and school, you know, all these things. And I was also writing the school newspaper at the time. So it was quite intense juggling all these things, but it really helped me learn the value of hard work and dedication and really just, you know, showing me that I can push myself and I can really, um, you know, I'm unlimited. Um, there's, there's just no limit at the end of the day. And yeah, then my final, my final exam required me to produce a documentary. Um, and at the time that that was happening, I luckily had saved up some cash. So I got my first camera to at least shoot that. But at the time I was shooting, um, something major happened. The it, it was quite windy at the time, so my camera literally fell down and broke apart. Oh. So <laughs> I was like, "God, what are you doing?" And this assignment is due like in a, in a week. That's and painful, it, right? <laughs> and the funny thing is, at that time, there were two people in my life that sent me a um a, a, a link to an ENCA internship program. So for us to complete our third year, we had to do an internship program as part of you know the course curriculum. In, in order to graduate so I was like this is actually something I want to do like mobile journalism is something very new in in the journalism space you know using your mobile phone to shoot content and actually execute everything so yeah luckily I had a good friend that you know borrowed me the camera to finish my my documentary but at the same time I was also producing this um piece for that ENCA internship competition and you know juggling both at the same time at the final year uh, was a little bit of a stretch as well, and yeah, a few a few weeks later, we had to upload it onto YouTube. A few weeks later, I got a call from the managing editor at ENCA, and they were like, "Hey, we saw your video, um, and apparently it's the, the the most watched video during the time of the competition with around eight hundred views at the time." And I'm like, "Okay, so what are you saying?" <laughs> and he's like. Are, are you available to come for an interview um, with us? And I was like, yeah, yeah, I absolutely am. Yeah. So, you know, that 
was the next step and the rest literally became history for me after that oh wow what a journey okay yeah okay <laughs> so now take us through okay so that was your first job post varsity then I yes. suppose. and take us through um what your whole journalism career has been like since then um you know it's been it's been up and down it's been it's been the most beautiful as well but also the most challenging as well um so our year at ENCA was literally one full year and there it really helped me grow in so many ways from working on television producing content for television but also online so that was quite a quite a, a quite an interesting journey and there were 12 of us as part of that internship program so we had such a great support system with each other um and you know some of them right now are doing amazing stuff there some of them are still at ENCA some are in different spaces but it's always nice to see those faces on television and and, and different spaces so after that um I decided I wanted to do my postgrad my my honors degree at WITS and luckily ENCA actually had a scholarship slash, slash bursary that they were affording to pursue their studies and I applied and then I got in and then I got the bursary to be one of the students that was part that was ENCA was sponsoring for the honors program and now at WITS, that's where I majored in financial journalism. I also made amazing, great friends. And it was such, an, such a very um, intense program as well. Because, you know, sometimes we'd find ourselves in the newsroom until 12 midnight, you know, roaming around, looking for stories, trying to get meet deadlines. Because apart from the coursework, it was also part of, you know, you actually writing uh, stories for their publication, the WITS Bubuzela. And that was, yeah, that was intense. <laughs> I did not have a social life that whole year. Actually, we all didn't have a social life at that whole year. Um, but it also made us grow into like a very close-knit family um, as the as a postgrad students there. And after that, I decided to, I mean, I, I got the opportunity to go back at ENCA, but work on a contractual basis. So they were producing a show called ENCA Backchat, which is for youth and allowing youth to have their own voice and talk about, you know, youth issues. And, you know, that was quite fun. But the only problem was for me was that it wasn't a stable form of income because there was no guarantee that I'd be there long term. So I was still, while I was doing that, I was still looking for opportunities to come. And our, one of our former um, heads of department sent a job that was for, um, Forbes and they're like Forbes looking for a journalist Forbes Africa Forbes woman and I was like hey now <laughs> I was like hey now I looked I looked at the job description I looked at everything and I was like god this this is me like I did not see myself in any other space except that like out of all the jobs I was applying for I was like this has to be it there is yeah. no way um you know because it also just you know spoke about things like you know is this person passionate about Africa you know stories and I'm like yo like hey <laughs> what are you saying so <laughs> I applied for that and I remember at the time I started putting stuff into existence I was learning about the power of writing down your dreams and your values so I even wrote down my name Karen Mundera at Forbes.com so that was what I put down just after I sent my application through and um a few a few weeks later, I got a call back and they're like, can you come for an interview? Cool. I went through and I met with the managing editor of Forbes. I'll submit with the, the HR manager. So these two women sitting across the table interviewing me, asking me questions. It was such a stern interview. It was like, I honestly didn't know how I did the whole time <laughs> <laughs> because there was just no expressions. It was just blank. <laughs> so yeah, that was, that was fun and they gave me a task to do so I had to tell a story um anything relating to you know Af the African continent and I did something around Airbnbs in Soweto and yeah submitted that that story she loved it the editor loved it and that was my first published piece for Forbes Africa oh wow yeah okay first of all like I'm so happy for you because like, <laughs> it does feel like it aligned so well with with really who you were and what you were what you were trying to to go for. Um, you've you've interviewed so many people and yes. so many interesting people, yeah. including Naomi Campbell. <laughs> <laughs> many more but like for me <laughs> I love her so, <laughs> me too, me too. Yeah, so what's, what's been your most interesting interview that you've done 
Phew. Oh my God. That is, that is a very, I, I, I don't even know. <laughs> top three, top three. Okay. I'll give you interesting, bad and interesting, good. And mm-hmm. then just random. So mm-hmm. interesting, bad interview that I've ever done was a story I literally almost got sued for. Um, and that was when I was still a student at Fitz. So um, this is a story that I broke around a student, a, a lecturer having a, a student lecturer affair, and it was kind of Ill- it was illegal on yeah. campus grounds. Um, but the only the the issue around that was that you had to declare it before that happened. So the the situation was that this this lecturer, um, this lecturer's girlfriend was in his class. So there was also a lot of speculation around favoritism, the student getting more marks than others. So a lot of the students in the class complained, but it was very underground. Um, so with the, the editor there at Vids, we published the story and the title, I'm still embarrassed about the title of the story, but it, <laughs> it was written, Lecturer has hanky-panky with students. And it's like, <laughs> Why? Why would, you know, editors... You broke the scandal. Yeah, it was very scandalous. It was so, so, and it made front page. And after that, you know, national news also picked up that story. So, you know, ENCA 702 started picking it up. And, you know, the whole country was talking about this affair. And I'm just like, goodness, I did not think it was going to get this much reception. Um, And then lawyers started emailing me, like, you need to take down the story. It's defamation. Um, otherwise, we're going to, you know, we're going to proceed to legal action. So I immediately alerted my editor that this is what I got. What are we going to do? Yeah. Um, luckily, they were so supportive. It went to the, the head of the faculty. From the head of the faculty, the dean um, of VITS, Adam Habib, also had to get involved. So the whole VITS organization had to get involved in trying to maneuver around the story. Yeah. So. We, because we follow journalism ethics, the story didn't get retracted. Um, what they wanted was for us to retract it and also issue an apology. But all we did was just issue out a second, a second article just saying this is what's happening. And unfortunately, we cannot retract it because it is true. Um, and, you know, yeah. we did offer you guys an opportunity to comment. But yeah, that was that was hard because even my social media, I was getting a lot of hate mail. I was getting a lot of, you know, bullying comments here and there. So, you know, after then, I was like, I don't think I'm cut out to do, you know, political journalism, <laughs> like, mm-hmm. especially, you know, that kind of, you know, investigative stuff. Because um, I think my personality as well is quite positive. So I always you know, try and lean towards more positive kind of stories, stories that make an impact. But dealing with people's lives, that's something, I think that was a big learning curve for me and trying to find my feet in the whole journalism industry. I was like, I don't think I'm really cut out for this because it really affected my mindset and mm-hmm. just, you know, my 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 eagerness to want to continue this path. So yeah, going into Forbes, I think now my second most interesting interview that I've done, um, hmm. I would say my my first cover story with uh, Connie Ferguson. Oh. Uh, so she's she's such an amazing soul, um, and I and I love that story because it was number one my first cover story ever ever. And you know my my editor, you know she's she's one of those people that's just like you know she trusts you, and if she trusts you and gives you this responsibility, you really have to give it your best and your all because there's a reason why she does that, mm. and you know it helps you grow. And I was quite challenged in that situation. Um, I was also quite nervous because I'm there fangirling because I'm already a fan of her, but I'm like, I have to be professional. <laughs> professional. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but we had such a great time. Um, she really made the process quite easy um, and also quite fun and also learned a lot, you know, getting in depth with her story, getting to, you know, understand this media mogul that went from acting to brand endorsements to owning her own media house and media brand. And that was quite a, um, you know, a powerful journey that she, she, she had, she had to go through. And even through that, like, you know, some of the challenges that she experienced as a woman in the, in the entertainment industry was also quite interesting to learn about. So, you know, that I would say was perhaps one of the most interesting ones I've also done. Um, Let me think about another one. Yeah, and you know Naomi Campbell on the top, I would say also is quite quite a quite an amazing one because it was it actually happened at the Global Citizen Festival. Um, oh, and there was selected media that was allowed to do media interviews, and at the time we were late to actually apply for that accreditation for the interviews itself, but we were there under media. Um, 
So even just getting into that interview process was just by sheer chance and by luck. Um, so the whole process was happening. There's a lot of people at the stadium. And we, I don't know, my friend and I were like, you know what, let's just go try. Let's just push ourselves, get into the media room and, you know, see what happens. So we get there. And for some, and the person that I was speaking to, luckily, was actually Naomi Campbell's manager. And I was like, you know, Forbes Africa actually just wants to interview her and, you know, get get a thought process around Africa and the work that she's doing here. And we're like, yeah, yeah, no, definitely. Then the next thing, they're setting up the interview. I'm standing there and I was not dressed for the part because it's a red carpet <laughs> event because <laughs> I, I did not expect myself to get there. But yeah. I was like, you know what, I'm just going to do it anyways. Um, so... You know, that happened. Uh, she was pretty chilled, pretty down to earth, very tall. So I was just like looking at her like, girl, beautiful, beautiful, yeah. beautiful. And very um, calm, collected. And, you know, she gave some great insight in terms of, you know, what she thinks about the landscape of Africa and the kind of work that she wants to do in, in terms of the fashion industry. Um, and that was that was nice. Above and beyond her, we also got to interview um, DeBange on the same carpet. Um who else? A couple other people also from the UN and part of the Global Citizen um, Festival. But all in all, that was just a, a really great experience. That's a big lesson. And when opportunity is here, just yes. grab it. Just grab just it. Grab it. Don't even think it's <laughs> but just grab it. If it's here, grab it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So now you are, uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to exaggerate this. Yes. <laughs> Oh, for fun. <laughs> so I know you're going to correct me, but you you choose the Forbes 30 and the 30. <laughs> more or less, more or less, yes. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> oh, okay, so that's, that's, that's crazy. How did you get to the, to the role of Forbes 30 and the 30 curator? And also, what does it actually mean to be the Forbes 30 and the 30 curator? Um, all right, let me start with your, with your first question. Um, getting into that... I was actually supposed to work alongside one of our colleagues at Forbes, but the same the same year the list was going to come out, she was leaving. So my manager, editor, was like, hey, Karen, do you think you can do this list by yourself? And I'm like, whoa, <laughs> this is actually my first time doing this list. This is 2019. And at the time, we were doing uh, 120 candidates. Usually it's 30. But for that year, we wanted it to be big and something special. So it was okay. 120 people across the continent we had to find. So I'm like, um, yeah, I could try. I could definitely try. But I was I was scared. I was literally um, panicking deep down. My anxiety levels are just raising up. I'm like, what is this woman doing to me right now? So, yeah, I think, you know, that was also such a lesson for me because it's like, you know, when when up like you said when opportunities come just grab it and you know sometimes you 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 no one's ever ready for some of these opportunities mm -hmm. um sometimes they don't chase you they chase you but as long as you show up and give it your best and and that's what i really tried to do so in that year i was doing it by myself um one woman sleepless nights i remember days when i would cry because i was just like this is just so much work it was intense and pressure right and so much pressure because you're working towards a deadline uh, and on top of that this is my first time so the person before me who did it had left so there was no opportunity to say oh she's gonna hold my hand and take me through yeah. the process none of that so i was literally learning as i go um and you know that was that was such a such an important moment for me because that literally culminated my career as a curator for the under 30 list um, going forward. So, you know, being part of being part of the curating team basically means that you're in charge of number one, sifting through the candidates because we we do a nomination based system, but above and beyond the nominations, we also hunt for certain people and then ask them to nominate themselves. But you know, you're in charge, it's such a big responsibility because you're in charge of number one, finding these candidates, vetting them, verifying whether they meet the criteria, um, bringing them towards a panel of judges and as well as the editor. And you have to convince them why this candidate deserves to be on the list. Um, and they also have to go through the documentation, which include their financials. So I was now learning about business finances and audits. So I was becoming an audit person as well. Um, I was becoming a researcher. I was becoming so many different skill set in that. And I was, I was also in charge of doing the vid videos because that's my um, 
you know, that's my skill set in journalism. I was mostly a video journalist at the time. So I would shoot, edit, uh, put together and produce the videos for Forbes Africa as well. So I was tasked with doing so many things at once. And, you know, once the list came out, that was just such a breather for me and such an amazing experience because we had our under 30 meetup, which had uh, Mohamed Duji, uh, the world. So, I mean, Africa's most um, biggest billionaire. Um, we had Bonang Metebe, who was also the keynote speaker at the event as well. So it was just a beautiful thing for it to see, to see it come to live and actually see all these Africans come together in Joburg and meet up for the first time. And that's when I was like, yo, this is actually, you know, such a fulfilling job. Like it's such a fulfilling responsibility because you get to see beautiful talent. It's also quite inspiring because you're seeing people your age mates doing amazing thing. And it's like, yo, you can also do this. You can also, you know, get involved in something bigger than yourself. And it was, it was, yeah, it was such a beautiful thing to see and and learn about young Africans that just wanted to change their communities and wanted to change the way the way the world looks at Africa all in all. And yeah, so the next year I did it again by myself. So 2020 list. Um, and then this year, 2021, luckily we were able to have a team, which was alongside Chanel, Ratif, as well as Simone, um, Umro. So we three of us had to work together on list. It was much, much, you know, much of, a much easier process, but still the, the gate, the, the, the vetting process was still as endless as it was. Yeah. I mean, that's one of the most, um, aspirational lists well one of the lists that most people aspire to be on so that must that's yeah. a lot of pressure. and the fact that i mean it's you have to look across all of africa that's a lot of people yeah, that's a lot of people you need to know what's going on in that country who are like exactly. in the different categories sports um entertainment exactly. whatever it needs to be like kind of well knowledge well versed in every country and that's a lot so i can imagine when you say you had sleepless nights days where you were crying of course like yeah. that's a lot Sure. Okay. And just in case someone's listening here and they're just curious, what does it take to get on that list? <laughs> Ooh, girl. Yeah, that, it, it's quite a lot. Um, so our process, as I mentioned, starts in the nomination phase. So first step, nominate. It's, the link is always on our website. So you can actually go see more in terms of it. But depending on the category that you want, there's different criteria that we look at. So business and tech, we'd basically be looking at, have you been... Um, has your business been running for at least two years? Um, then from there, we'll also ask for your documentation around that. We'll look at you as an individual. We'll also look at your, your impact and your growth story. So apart from the documents people submit that include, you know, police clearance, because we also have to verify, do you have a criminal record or not? Um, we have to verify people that have worked with you. So we'll ask for references, but we also look at for our own references for people to say, you know, what kind of person are you? And, you know, I think that process has also helped me in terms of, you know, finding out if people's legit, because like you said, a lot of people want to be on the list, but there's a lot of people that, um, you know, that make up stuff or, you know, they, they, they want to be on the list, but they're not really passionate about what they do. They just run a business for the sake of running a business or, you know, as that, that, that kind of, you know, I just want to make money. But the yeah. thing about the Forbes Africa 30 and 30, because it's such an aspirational list, um, we pride ourselves in the fact that we're not just looking at the finances themselves, but we're also looking at the person and their growth story and their passion for what it is that they're doing. And that comes out a lot in terms of the, the way they tell us about why they started doing what they're doing. And, you know, you'll see a lot of it comes from, you know, what solutions are they providing in their community? Uh, we've had people that would come up with ideas in terms of solar panels because they grew up in situations where every day they would study day and night and not have electricity. We had amazing people like this this one entrepreneur in Uganda who her mom died from cancer because of the, the way hospitals there were not as advanced to detect cancer. So now she created this innovation that uses tech and helps women in villages to actually detect cancer before it gets really extreme. Oh, wow. So a lot of the stories are so, they're so beautiful and so endless. And, um, you know, when people think about Forbes, they always think about billionaires. This person has to be making a million, you know, which is such a great plus. It's a bonus. But at the end of the day, we're not saying that you must be a millionaire alone because you could literally take over your family business that would have been making millions a long time ago. And, you know, you have a step up the ladder. But we want those stories of people that literally started from the ground up 
trying to build what it is that they started to get to where they are. And, and that's what I think sets the Forbes list apart from any other list um, on Africa, on the continent, because we look specifically at those qualities. Um, within the creative space and the sports space, we'll look at, you know, what's your proven track record? Again, you have to have had a record for at least two years. So doing what you're doing, whether you're a musician, whether you're a painter, you're an artist, at least two years of a track record. Um, and why we always focus on the two years is because we've seen people that would do amazing stuff in the first year and then the second year they just fall off the wagon or there's no some sort of you know there's no sustainability because the moment you have that mm. Forbes stamp is basically saying that we believe in your vision and we believe that you have what it takes to really put Africa on the map. So we have to see that this is someone that's consistently been doing this and you know they have a vision for their dreams and and the business or what it is that they're doing. So we'll look at those things as well. Um and yeah, then the, the whole process is quite, it, it goes over for months. So you could even nominate yourself today and only receive feedback in six months time. So it's not, mm-hmm. it's not the kind of thing that, you know, you, you send in your submission and you know, that it's done, it's done. We go through such a rigorous process. Mm-hmm. We get over, over, I mean, this year we got, I think plus over 1000 to 2000 nominations the previous year years we got about 3000 plus it 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 keeps growing each year and it's it's quite um you know it's quite intense going through all those emails so the 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 tricky thing is now we have to go through all those emails and really look at you know what is this person what is their business model um is it innovative is it something that's groundbreaking and then we also work alongside an audit partner they will now vet the finances and in the finances we'll look at you know the profits and loss we'll look at how much money you've made um and the thing about that is we don't we don't we don't necessarily have a specific cap to say this is how much money we're only going to consider because every industry is different. Someone in the mm-hmm. tech industry would be making a lot much different um, money compared to someone in um, you know maybe a creative industry. So it, we also try as much to look at the industries themselves and look at you know what and based on the the judges that we have, they also provide their opinions as to you know what do they think about this business model and their finances. And, you know, is this something that's groundbreaking in that industry or not necessarily? Uh, so, yeah, the process, the process is, is pretty much in a nutshell as such. Sure. Okay. That's intense. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, now everybody knows, not like you submit and like there's a system that just runs through and short list. Yeah. Intense, And it's about more than just, I love, I love that you're saying that it's about more than just the money because there's so much more to 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 people, to businesses, yes. and to just the work that people do on the continent. I absolutely love that. You also, on top of everything else that you do, I f- like <laughs> you also <laughs> now started your own company. Yeah, Can you tell us about that. <laughs> I did. I did. Um, so I run a company called Africa and Media. I love the name, by the way. Oh, thank you. I love people why they name the company certain names, but like yours is like just then. I'm like, of course, I love it. (laughs) And our our mandate is to help Africa tell and host critical conversations and impactful conversations as such. So we're in the business of storytelling, um, but mostly at the moment because of the way COVID has happened, we started on a more digital base. So we provide. you know, solutions to webinars, so providing webinar hosting. We also curate webinars for different companies. Mm. Um, and and most of the companies that we've worked for so far are very, very innovative. They're coming up with different ideas in terms of how to, how to problem solve issues around Africa and the continent. So we look at that. Um, apart from that, we like I said, we also have a podcast coming up. So that's in the works. And, you know, just content creation um, leading towards that. But, you know, the, the main goal would be, number one, to help um, really uh, drive more conversations about, you know, solution-based ideas on the continent, whether it's from young people, whether it's from old people, just, you know, coming together and discussing critical issues that that can provide that can have solutions that people can provide Mm, yeah and what's what has what do you what's the biggest difference between running your own company in this media world versus working for a company um i'd say number one the flexibility because um i guess right now we're really bootstrapping because i still have a nine-to-five job as well um so it's been quite a slow burn, um, a, sl- a slow process, and I'm also learning as I go. And, you know, I, I love the fact that, 
you know, I can be flexible and really, you know, pivot myself in terms of what kind of stories do I want to tell, the kind of companies that I want to work with. Whereas when you're working for a newsroom, you are forced to feed this big machine that needs to be churned, content needs to be churned day in and day out, that you don't really get a chance to breathe or you don't really get a chance to tell the stories that are very passionate to you because each media company has its own agenda um, and its own focus. So, you know, now I can, you know, really look at stories that I want to tell, stories that I think Africa needs to hear more and more. And, you know, I work with a team of two young ladies as well who are my former students. So we work very well together. Uh, one of them runs our digital platform. The other one helps in terms of the research and writing content. So it's been it's been quite a growing, growing journey. But the one thing I must say that's been so challenging is the admin. I am not an, I am not, I do not love admin stuff. Like I'm that person that says, let's do it, let's do it. But admin tells you to slow down, make sure you've got the parameters in check. And you know, that nobody prepares you for that. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I can imagine. And that's probably not something you have to deal with so much when you, like, not group, but like, yeah, in more of a typical nine to five. Yes. Yeah. And what, what, if somebody was listening here and they wanted to follow in your footsteps as a journalist and just creating a, 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 a multifaceted career in, in media and journalism like you have, what, let's say top three things would you tell them? Three is uh-huh. my magic number. <laughs> <laughs> I would say learn as much as possible and, and don't shy away from, you know, expanding yourself. You know, the history of journalism was predominantly that if you wanted to do print that was it if you wanted to be a photographer that was it if you wanted to do video that was it but now the way the world is going the way the industry is going it really requires you to be an all-rounder so learning all those skills all together and it can literally take you places um in so many ways and you literally become your own media company yourself because you can do the visuals you can do the photography you can do the writing um and you can also do the, the anchoring as well so I would say, you know, don't limit yourself to just one skill set. Try as much and broaden your horizon. And then secondly, uh, this is a quote by Lucky Dube, if I'm not mistaken, which says, be good to the people on your way up because you might meet them on your way down. And I say that because the media industry is very small. Um, Mm -hmm. The people you work with today, you're going to meet them tomorrow. If you go to another company, you're going to meet them again there. Mm -hmm. So I think it's always good to, wherever you're leaving, leave on good terms with people, um, even the people that you interact with, because sometimes you'll, you'll meet someone on the bus or you meet someone, you know, in a public area and you never know that that person's story would be the breakthrough that you actually need for your next, you know, story. So, you know, that's a lot about how contexts are made. So just be a good person in, in every space that you're caught or called in to be and, and don't, ever look down on another person and be like, you know, what value is this person going to bring to my life? Um, because it might not be now, but in the future, there's always great opportunities to collaborate. And, um, you know, they scratch your back, you scratch yours. It's all, it's all this ecosystem in which everyone needs everyone else. And then I'd say thirdly, <laughs> I'd say thirdly, just, just dream big, like vision what it is that you want for yourself. Um, you know, the, the industry is changing so much that the typical journalist nowadays doesn't even work in a newsroom. Um, people, companies need journalists to tell their own stories. Companies need journalists to push out their own stories. So you don't always have to think about it working with like a big newsroom company, but mm-hmm. how you can use that skill set in different spaces and different companies. Also, you're still adding to that. So it's such a skill that is so versatile that you could literally work anywhere in the world. And, and that's the beauty of it. It's just, it just requires you to think about it. What do you want for yourself? Which spaces you want to go into? Vision it, write it down, you know, moonboard it, whatever it is that, that you know is your thing. And, you know, strive towards that. And since you said that, what is your vision for Karen? Karen, the founder of a media company, the journalist, award-winning journalist. (laughs) Um, But also, Karen, like the daughter, the friend, like what is your vision for yourself? Gosh, that's an interesting question. Um, You know, it's so hard for for myself to see myself separate from what I do, but I'm going to try. I'm going to try to answer that. Um, (laughs) I mean, 
I, you know, the some of the future plans that I have are to do my master's. Um, but I want to be someone that in the next, you know, couple of years, 15, 20 years, my name is something that people will learn about in textbooks. Um, so I really want to, you know, add to the whole media um, theory, because now, even as it stands, a lot of the theories that we're learning about are predominantly white men and mm-hmm. men that were born in the 1940s and 1920s and 1800s. And it's like, where are the black people? Where are <laughs> the black women? Um, and where are the young people that are there? Um, and those voices are not there. And I think I would really love to be someone that also creates knowledge than just, you know, report on knowledge that's out there. I want to really contribute to sh- shaping policies around media in Africa. So yeah, that's 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 I guess the the long-term plan. And yeah, just build a family and be happy and perhaps live on the beach. <laughs> yes. <laughs> you know. <laughs> yeah, that's beautiful. Um Karen, tell us about um a mistake or some a, a failure or misstep that you've gone through and what you've learned from it in your career. Mm. Oh, there's been so many. <laughs> There have been so many mistakes. Um, let me think about that. I also don't want to expose myself. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, don't give up too much, but just yeah. enough for us to learn from it. <laughs> Something to learn from. Um, I would say not... Um, fighting for my worth um yeah because and I say that because it it also has been a hindrance to my growth in in a lot of different ways um so there was a time when you know at the time I was working day in and day out and overworked and also quite underpaid and I think this is you know something that happens predominantly in the media industry as a young journalist and if you don't fight for what you want you don't get it and you kind of you shrink yourself to believing that this is as much as you're going to do. So, mm-hmm. you know, learning from that made me realize that, you know what, girl, like no one else is going to fight for your life except you. And and no one is going to understand the journey that you're on. Because I remember when I left the industry full time, when I left Forbes full time to lecture, a lot of people were questioning, like, why do you want to go lecture? Like, you still have so much to do in the industry. There's just, you know, you can still get to editor and whatnot. And I was like, <laughs> no, I, you know, sometimes even like your mental health is something to really look out for. And if a place isn't really, you know, allowing you to, to grow, then you have to now make the decision to grow out of it yourself. And yeah, that was something that, that took me time to get to. Cause I think, you know, when I, when I came into the industry, I was this meek and feeble, naive young girl who believed that everything was all rosy, that, you know, if you work hard only that everything is going to come to you, but you can work as hard as you want. And, and if people see that, that's all, that's just it, but it doesn't mean that you're always going to get everything that you need. So you need to make that decision to position yourself in a way that you can grow to where you want to be, regardless of, you know, what other people tell you about your journey, because at the end of the day, the the responsibilities or the decisions you make will impact you and not the other person. So yeah, I had to, I had to learn to get myself out of that mindset um, and really just trust the process. Mm, oh, that's beautiful. Yes, trust yeah. the process. Okay, so now we're at my favorite part of the podcast where I get to ask my favorite question, ah, which okay. comes from my favorite quote, which is be who you needed when you were younger. That's my favorite quote. Be who you um, needed when you were younger. Okay, yes. love that. Um, I love that because um, as much as we can never go back in time and change anything that has happened, if there's someone we needed to see or something that we needed to hear when we were younger, there might be someone out there today that needs the same. So if you could go back in time to any point in your life, it could be you in primary school, high school, it could be you starting your career. Yes. Um, if you could go back, in t- it could be yesterday, you were younger. <laughs> um, if you could go back in time and chat to younger Karen, what would you say to her? I would say don't put an age on your achievements. So 
you know, and I think that was something I did a lot. Like by this age, I need to do this. I need to, I need to have achieved this goal. I need to have, you know, have kids, be married at this age. And I'm still 27, 26 can I, can now. I just say something? <laughs> I just say That's ironic because you create the first of 10 years. So I'm just like, like girl. <laughs> no, I, I'm gonna tell you something so embarrassing. Um, like till today, I don't even have a driver's license. That's and and that's why I say that. I know. Look at your face. You're like girl, <laughs> which I need girl. to. I need to. I know. I I need to do that. I really need to get that. I can drive though. It's just <laughs> you shouldn't. I why. Like I don't know why I keep failing the driving test. But hey, <laughs> I'm gonna keep going. I'm gonna keep trying. Okay, so yeah, I disturbed you, but yes, don't put an age. <laughs> yeah don't put an age limit to your thing I mean to to your achievements and you know start with what you have start where you are with what you have um sometimes we always wait for the right conditions to say you know this is this is when I'm going to be able to do this once mm-hmm. I get this I'm going to be able to do this but you don't have to wait for anyone but yourself because time waits for no one so you know really start with whatever it is if you want to build that business now do it um you don't have to start a company to start a business uh, you don't have to register a company to start a business you can just start where you are and what you have mm-hmm. um or even when it comes to you know writing to other young journalists out there you don't have to wait to be hired to create content you can have your own your own online blog you can start a podcast there's so many great softwares out there that allow that so you know really just um Whatever it is that you want to achieve for yourself, don't don't fall into the trap that you need other conditions to allow that to happen. I mean, it's great that you that you you'll you'll have certain things happen, but you honestly grow into the the spaces that you want to be at. Mm, I love that. That's beautiful. Don't don't put an age limit. Don't wait for something to trigger the next chapter yeah. of your life. You can be almost 30 and not have a license (laughs) oh girl (laughs) can we edit that out though (laughs) honestly but it's true and i and i love that you don't have to have like you don't have to follow what society says you should have by this age or anything like that yeah i love that (laughs) this has been amazing thank you so much for sharing your story with us um how can our listeners our viewers get in touch with you um, or just follow your journey, follow your company and the work that you do. Awesome. So you guys can reach me on at ITS underscore Karen M on Instagram and Twitter. Um, I'm quite active, especially on Instagram and um, our company is www.africaren.media.com. So that's still in the works, but you can also follow our media pages on Twitter and on Instagram and also on LinkedIn, um, which is Africaren Media. So, yeah, I look forward to engaging with you guys. So, yeah. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me, fellow. This was amazing. <laughs> it was this so was much fun. fun. <laughs>